Well, happy Easter, happy Resurrection Sunday to you guys. So good to see all of you here this morning at New Life Church. If you are new here, my name is Jeremy Smith, lead pastor here, and it's an honor and a privilege to stand before you. This is my 32nd Easter as a believer in Christ Jesus. How many is it for you? How many is it for you? Think about that. Maybe too far to count, maybe too new to remember. I don't know. Just think about that. 32 years following Jesus. I I grew up not going to church, uh, very rare. Uh, We would pop in and out at Easter, sometimes at Christmas, and I would often pray on a Sunday morning that my parents would not wake up in time to take me to church. (laughs) Sometimes that happened and sometimes it didn't, but I'm so thankful that I had a grandmother who prayed for me a grandmother who, who sought the Lord for me, a grandmother who didn't get past, like, I think it was third or fourth grade, could not read very well, but she could pray. And she knew the value of bringing up someone in the, in the ways of the Lord. There's people praying for you today. There's been people praying for you for years, and you're here because somebody prayed for you. Our church, our leaders, our staff, our congregation, all of us, we've been praying for one another and praying for you. If you're here for the first time, we want to say welcome And we're thankful that you chose to be here on Easter with us at New Life Church today. Listen, let me invite you to open up your Bibles if you got them, your smartphones. They're also going to be on the screen behind me to John chapter 20. We're going to look at the resurrection account from the Gospel of John today. Take in mind, these these Gospels were written years after uh, the story that actually took place. And uh, John wrote around A.D. 90, and so that's about 55 to 60 years after the life of Christ, after the resurrection itself took place. And we're going to look at his account today. Look with me in John chapter 20, verse 1. We're talking today of a series we're in about Easter. We started it about two weeks ago, and we've got another one following up next week that's going to be pretty powerful, but it's called Resurrected Life. Look at this, John 20, verse 1 says, Early on Sunday morning. Can somebody say early? Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb, and she found the stone that had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found, that's pretty neat, she ran. Most of the time, especially females, they didn't run back then. All right, And she ran. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple. That's the one who's writing this story, John. Says, the one whom Jesus loved. Don't you just love how John talks about that, his relationship with Jesus? The other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said to them, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running. But the other disciple outran Peter. That's John, outran Peter, and he reached the tomb first. He stooped and he looked in and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded and lying apart from the other wrappings, Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. John saw and believed. For until then, everyone say until then, until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead, and then they went home. Would you pray with me over this text today? God, thank you for what you have written, what you allowed to be written and concealed in your word and now revealed by your spirit. 
Today, open our eyes, Lord, to see some things, maybe for the first time. Maybe be reminded of some things that we haven't thought of in quite some time. But either way, get our attention today. Let it leap off the page and into our hearts. Cause our souls to come alive and be turned on to your purpose for our lives. We give you this time, and I ask that you would speak through me. Fill my mouth, fill my heart with your words, O Lord, so that they would be an honor and a, pra- and a praise to you and a help to your people in Jesus' name. Well, i got to slow myself down because I'm a little excited today. About uh, 25 years ago, my wife and I got married, May 2nd of 1998. We got married a week after she graduated from Lambeth University here in Jackson. We lived in Memphis our first several years of of life together, and one of her first assignments out of, out of college was she's an educator. She was assigned to the inner city schools of Memphis, and she taught in an elementary school in Memphis and in Orange Mound, and um, every Easter week, she would invite myself and a few other friends and folks from our church to come in and do a party for the kids for Easter and tell the Easter story, and we would use the uh, resurrected egg kit. I don't know if you've seen that, but they would go, you'd walk through the resurrected egg kit, and each little opening of the, of the egg, it would show something significant about the week of Easter leading up to Easter. It showed Christ on the cross, then it would show him going into the grave, and then on the, on the third day on Sunday, Sunday, today, you would open it up and there would not be anything there. And we, we were telling this story one year to the, her students, her little students at that school. And uh, we got to the third day and we opened it up and, and we said, it's empty. What happened? And little Rodriguez spoke up and he said, ooh, somebody stole Jesus. <laughs> well, it was a cackling going on much like here today. It was funny. And that story 25 years ago has never gone away. We tell it often as we get with friends from, from Memphis and others here in our church. We tell that story. Somebody stole Jesus. That's where Mary found herself. She had gone to the tomb to see the dead Jesus. And she did not find him. And she was concerned. Where did they take him? And the disciples that were here at that moment in this story, Peter and John, ran and looked in, and they didn't see him either. But they saw the empty linen cloths no longer wrapped around a dead body, and the napkin that was covering the face of Christ was folded neatly and put aside. And they saw and they believed. And it said, until at that moment, they had not understood that Jesus must rise from the dead. Resurrection. Resurrection. American theologian Frederick Buechner says, resurrection means the worst thing is never the last thing. The resurrection of Jesus, the coming back from death to life, is proof that he turns lives around. Real things like death and sorrow, fear, and doubt, and even shame and regret do not have the final or last word in our life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has the final word. He has the final word. And Jesus' resurrection says emphatically and eternally, I am back to turn your life around. And with the next few minutes that I have, we'll be done about 3 o'clock, I think it is, today. I'm kidding, because I know you're going to run out and you've got things you've got to do. But with the next few minutes I do have, 
I want to preach on that story, that topic right there, Jesus' resurrection that says, I am back to turn your life around. And I love how John goes right into this story, how he remembers as he has written this story years later. He goes right in as the resurrection happened, and he goes and talks about how the life, the resurrected life of Christ, and he's back, and how he can turn our life around from things like sorrow and pain, things like fear and doubt and shame and regret. Look with me here in John chapter 20, continuing with Mary. Mary is the John and Peter ran back, and Mary's standing by the tomb, and she's crying, she's weeping still. She's like, I need to find where they have put my Lord. And she sees these angels standing there, and they ask her, why are you crying? And she says, please, if you'll just tell me where you put him, I'll go get him myself. I'm just looking for my Lord. She's still looking for the dead Jesus. And then she's about to leave. And look what happens in verse 15. Jesus asked her, and she didn't see and know that this was him yet. He said, dear woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Why are you crying, Jesus said. Her eyes had not yet recognized that it was the resurrected Jesus. Question, what makes you sorrowful in life? What, what brings you to, to tears? What, what causes you pain? And what, what has happened in your life that has made you sorrowful? The same question Jesus asked Mary, why Are you crying? I mean, that's a good question to ask when someone's crying. That's typically what we would say to someone, especially if we know them and we see them crying. What's the matter, right? Why are you crying? What has you so distraught? What has you so upset? What has happened to cause you to be in such pain? Jesus wants to know that, friends. He wants to know what has caused us sorrow and Pain. You see, sorrow is no stranger to humanity. Sorrow was no stranger to Jesus. In fact, the Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 53 prophesied this about the coming Messiah, the suffering servant. He said this in Isaiah 53 3. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him. And we looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he cared. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. You see, the sorrow that Jesus felt was the sorrow of humanity weighing down, bearing down on his soul. He carried the weight of our sorrow and our sin upon him. He felt what it was like to be sorrowful. When his best friend Lazarus died and in the grave four days, and knowing he would go to raise him back up, yet as he approached the tomb, it said that Jesus himself wept. And when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night of his betrayal, he told his closest disciples, hey guys, my soul is so anguished with grief right now. 
he was feeling the weight and the burden of humanity's sorrow upon him. It was our sorrow upon him. And he asked Mary, what has you sorrowful? Can you identify what it is that has caused this in your life? And he asked us the same, why are you crying? What has you so sorrowful? And he asked that because he wants to show us that he came back to turn our life around from sorrow. And he goes on, look at what happens in verse 16. It said, Jesus said her name, Mary. She turned to him and she cried out, teacher. Mary turned towards Jesus. It was something about the way he said her name. You know, that's the, one of the amazing things is God always knows your name. You ever met anybody who, who always remembers your name? You might have not seen them in ages, but they always remember your name. I'm, I'm fascinated by people who don't forget a name. I work hard to try to f- remember names, but I, I, I forget sometimes. God never forgets our name. And he said her name, Mary. Something, the way he said it, turned her turned her away from her sorrow. She began to recognize, oh, this is not some gardener. This is not some angel. No, this is my risen Lord. This is my Savior. This is my teacher. This is the one who cast the seven demons out of my life a few years ago. This is the one who said he would come back, and he's back, and he says my name, and he knows my name, and he wants to know why am I so sorrowful, because now that he's back, he's turning my life around and away from sorrow. Friends, who do you turn to in your sorrow? Who do you turn to when life causes you pain? What do you turn to? If you turn to anything or anyone other than Jesus, you're only sweeping your sorrow and pain under a rug. It will never go away. It will always be there. You'll end up tripping over it. It'll never dissipate. Jesus is the only one who can turn your life around from a life of pain and sorrow. And then in verse 18, it said, And Mary, she found the disciples. She told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them this message. Away from the tomb, Mary came. Away from the tomb of sorrow, she turned to Jesus. And she allowed and saw that Jesus turned her life around. She now had good news in her heart that she could go and share with her closest friends. Let me tell you, God wants to do that for you today. Your life may be plagued with with a lot of pain, with a lot of suffering, with a lot of sorrow. But God wants to turn your life around. And he wants to put some good news in your heart. Some good news that you can go and share with your closest friends and your family. You know, the world's full of bad news. The world's full of bad news. It's time for good news. Good news comes from Christ. Good news comes from the resurrected life of Jesus. And he wants to show you that he loves you and he can turn your life around from a life of sorrow. He also has come back to turn our life around from fear. Look with me in the next few verses. Verse 19 says... That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors. The same Sunday that Christ rose from the dead. Said they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. 
And suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. They were afraid. What makes you afraid or what, what fears do you have? Fear is a real thing. Fear is real. Any one of us can be affected by fear at any given time and for any given length of time. But what fears do you really have going on in your life right now or that you may have been plagued with for quite some time? Do you have a fear of dying? Do you have a fear of failing like me sometimes? Do you have a fear of missing out? What they call FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. Do you have a fear of getting sick? Do you have a fear of having a financial shortfall or crisis? Do you fear the future, the unknown? Do you fear maybe not ever getting married? Do you fear maybe I'm not ever going to be able to have a family? Do you fear I'm going to preach too long? See, from the Old Testament through the New Testament, God promises us over 300 times with words like this out of Isaiah 41.10. God says, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Over 300 times words like that, don't fear, don't be afraid, for I, your God, am with you. Those words appear. I think they appear that often because often we are plagued with fear. And in verse 20, see what happens. It says, As he spoke, as Jesus spoke, he showed the disciples the wounds in his hands and in his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Jesus fulfilled his promise. He had told them six chapters earlier in John's gospel. He said, I will not abandon you as orphans, but I will come back to you. He proved himself. He came back to them. They were like, man, he's for real. He is for real. They were afraid, hiding in a locked up room, an upstairs room, behind closed doors, locked with fear. But Jesus walks through the wall, walks through the door, stands in the middle of the room and says, I'm back. I'm back to turn your life around from fear. I kept my word. I've read this story a few times. It's out of a book called Soul Keeping by Pastor John Ortberg. But he retells the story of a father who's retelling a story of his three-year-old son who is now in his 30s. He would say, when my son was around three, whenever he would get afraid, he would run to me with his arms out and say, hold you, daddy, hold you. His three-year-old version of hold me, daddy, hold me. Well, one day his son in his 30s came home from work and discovered that his wife had left him for someone else and he was obviously devastated, but he was also very afraid. What now? What will I do? What's going to happen to my life? He calls his dad up and tells him what happens, and he says, Dad, can I come over? And his dad said, absolutely. The son drives five hours to his dad's house, walks through the front door, collapses in his dad's arms, sobbing, crying, afraid of what will happen. And his dad retells a story. I can almost hear my 30-year-old son in his three-year-old voice say, hold you, daddy, 
hold you. We all want to be held, especially when we're afraid, especially when fear strikes. We want to be held. Friends, God wants to do that for you today. He wants to turn your life around from being ruled by fear, dominated by fear, and He wants to hold you. You see, that's the beauty of Christ and God is He walks with us, holds us, puts His arm around us, and He wants to hold you today and reassure you that He's got you. He's got you. Some of men, some people are so afraid of life, so afraid of what's out there and what can happen that we don't really live. We don't really live because we let fear control and we let fear dominate. But God wants to remind you today that he's here through his son Jesus and his resurrection and he's back to turn your life around from fear. And he wants to hold you and tell you he's got it all under control. But he's back to also turn our life around from doubt. Look at this next little story. There's a a disciple named Thomas. He was nicknamed the twin, and people have given him the nickname Doubting Thomas. But the disciples came to Thomas, and they said, Hey, we have seen the Lord. We saw him. Look what happens in verse 25. He said, well, I doubt it. I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the side, into the wound in his side. Thomas had real doubt and rightly so, but let's be fair, Thomas was not with them the first time that Jesus came. And here they are coming and telling him, hey, we saw the Lord. And he's like, I doubt it. But doubt's a real thing we all experience. I mean, come on, there's only so many people we can really trust, right? And when it comes to God, we often sometimes can struggle and wrestle with doubt. Question, what doubts do you have about God in your life right now? Do you doubt that God loves you? Do you doubt that God even likes you? Do you doubt God can forgive you? Do you doubt that God can heal you? Do you doubt that God accepts you just as you are? Do you doubt that God can deliver you and transform your life? Do you doubt that God can guide your steps, the creator of the universe? Do you doubt He can lead you where you need to be. Look at what happens. Verse 26. It says, Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. I bet he was. He was like, you ain't going to leave me behind anymore, fellas. Peter, John, and James, y'all sent me on an errand last time. I'm not your gopher boy. I'm going to be back today. This time, Thomas was with them. The doors, though, were locked again. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them, and he said, Peace be with you. Jesus came back eight days later to the same locked room, through the same locked doors, 
But you know who he came to see this time? He came to see Thomas. He's like, I can't let this opportunity get by without making sure Thomas believes. It's not fair. It's not fair. i got to show myself to Thomas. And he comes back just to see Thomas. And what does he tell him? Verse 27, he said, Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side and don't be faithless any longer, Thomas. Don't doubt any longer. You've got to believe. You've got to be convinced. You've got to be convinced. Jesus said, Thomas, look at me. Touch me. Look, in, look at me. Feel me. I need you to believe. You don't ha- I don't want you to doubt anymore. I don't want you to doubt anymore. I want you to be convinced. And what does Thomas say? Famous words in verse 28, my Lord and my God. I can almost see Thomas almost kind of throw his hands up and like, my Lord and my God, it's you. <laughs> it's really you. You came back and you came back just to t- talk to me. Told you he loved me, John. Bragging on yourself. I told you he didn't forget about me. Believe. Convinced. And Jesus goes on. He says, you believe because you've seen me, and blessed are those who believe without seeing me. What about you today? Do you believe that it's not just a story? It's not just some part of history? but that Jesus really did come back from the dead and never died again? That he really did? He really was resurrected? Are you convinced? Are you convinced that the resurrected Jesus is calling out to you today, willing to walk through locked doors, walk through barriers? You see, we can put up walls, We can put up fences, we can put up facades, we can put up things, but you know what? Jesus loves you too much. He's not scared. He ain't scared. He is not scared. He is not deterred. He will walk right through whatever we put up just to show you He loves you and He wants you. He wants you to believe. He does not want you to live a life of doubt. He can heal. He can forgive. He can set free. He can deliver. He can guide you. He can connect you with the right person at the right time. He can place you where you need to be. He can open a door that no man can can shut. He can close a door that no man can open. When we let him show himself to us and we touch and we believe, man, the rest is history. He wants you to believe. God wants to do this for you today. He wants to turn your life around from a life of doubt And he wants you to have faith and he wants you to believe that he is who he says he is. He came back. He showed himself. He's real. He's alive. He's true. He wants to show you that he loves you so big. And anytime you and I hope in the Lord, it does not lead to disappointment. If there's anyone who knows about that, it's Paul the Apostle. For he writes in Romans 5.5, he said, And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. 
Anytime you and I disappoint or di- hope in the Lord, it does not lead to disappointment. Friends, here's the thing. People disappoint people. But the risen Savior, Jesus, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the Prince of Peace, the Messiah, He does not disappoint. And lastly, this last chapter, we're not going to go through the entire chapter verse by verse, but there's a story in here I want to pull out. This last chapter was actually kind of, it was added. John had, had kind of wrapped up his writings. He had finished some things up. He had said like in the last couple of verses of chapter 20 that Jesus did a lot more, many miraculous signs that in addition to the ones already recorded here, but there were so many written down that it could not be contained. And, and I can just, he, he added this last chapter. He went back and was like, I have to add this final story from my friend Peter, the one I outran to the tomb. I got to add this story because it means so much that maybe he's writing it and he wrote it with the thought, because so many people are like Peter, just hammered by shame, guilt, regret, condemnation, just overwhelmed by what they what their past was, and they can't seem to get past their past. And he writes this last chapter because he says Jesus came back to turn life, our life around from a life of shame and regret. Verse 3, Peter said, Fellas, I'm going fishing. Got into the boat, and they said, Well, we're going to go with you. But they caught nothing all night. They caught nothing all night. Here Peter is, and some of the other disciples with him. He's like, I'm going to go back to fishing. I know we just had this incredible journey in the last three and a half years. Pretty amazing. But you know what? I let God down. I messed up. I don't deserve a future. I'm just going to go back to what I know. I'm going to go back to familiar territory. And they were trying to go back to their past, and they discovered, man, we didn't catch a thing all night long. It was not fulfilling. Friends, our past is never fulfilling. We might be drawn to it from time to time. We might be compelled to turn back to it from time to time. But it's, it's an illusion. It never truly lives up to what it says it can. It's, it holds us hostage in condemnation and shame. And what happens next? It says at dawn, verse 4, said Jesus was standing on the shore. The disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out to them, Hey, fellas, have you caught any fish? Heck no, we ain't caught any fish. You crazy? He said, Hey, throw your net out on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll catch some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Familiar story, familiar experience. He had told them something similar to that previous years in their journey together. Here they were trying to go back to their past, and they could catch nothing. It was exhausting, empty-handed, 
unfulfilling, unsatisfied. Jesus is standing at dawn on the shore after a hard night, long, laborious night, empty-handed, worn out, tired from chasing their past. Jesus is standing on the shore. And he says, this is, the re- this is the direction that you need to be going to me. John, who writes this, said to Peter in verse 7, It's the Lord, Peter. I know it is. Only he knows if we cast our net on that side, we're going to call in a, a ton of fish. It's the Lord, Peter. And when Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, what did he do? said he put on his tunic, his fisherman's coat, where he was stripped down for fishing. He jumped into the water and he swam for shore. I look at that part of the story, and I'm reminded the way Mark ended his gospel account with the resurrection, that it said, the angel said to Mary, he's risen. Go tell all the other disciples and Peter. Mm. Don't forget to tell Peter. Peter is struggling. Peter can't forgive himself. Peter can't seem to let go of condemnation and regret. The shoulda, coulda. What what has happened in your life that causes you to live in the suffering of condemnation. Maybe you made a choice that you feel like, I don't think, I think maybe, I don't know if I can be forgiven. I don't know if I can really get past what I have done. You feel like maybe you don't deserve the real, pure, true, big love of Jesus. John tells Peter, it's the Lord. Peter puts on his fisherman's coat, swims to shore. I kind of look at it like this, that Peter puts on his past. Heavy coat. Water, supposed to be waterproof. Heavy. Identifies as a fisherman his past puts on the heaviness of guilt and shame and he swims to shore and he wants the Lord to see him. Look at me. He says, I don't even want to look at you, but look at me. Here I am. I'm riddled with all this shame and condemnation and all this regret. But you came back. You came back for me. You came back for me and I don't want this anymore. I don't want to live life weighed down by my past and weighed down by my mistakes and weighed down by all the regret and the shame and condemnation that I have. I don't want to live that way any longer. I don't want to be plagued in my thoughts. I don't want to be plagued in my dreams. I don't want to be plagued by conversations and and remembering of who I used to be and what I did. Can't you do something with it? You came back for me. And they had breakfast on the shore. Then Jesus says, come here, Peter. Let me holler at you for a minute. So they go off to the side and they have a conversation. And Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? 
And with each answer of yes from Peter, Jesus promotes his purpose to Peter. Feed my lambs. Care for my sheep, Peter. Feed my sheep. You see, Jesus validates Peter's future by turning Peter's attention away from his past. God wants to do that for you today, friends. The resurrection of Christ wants to do that for you. He wants to turn your life around from a life of shame and regret and condemnation. And he wants to turn your life towards a purpose that he had created you for. There are folks here today, you you wrestle so badly with being forgiven by Christ. With thinking, man, my shame is too much. My guilt is too much. My choices are too much. And you think you've got to clean yourself up to get to God before God will love you. And God's like, no, come to me in your fisherman's coat. Come to me with all the heaviness and the burdens that you bear. Come to me with all the shame and regret that you carry on your shoulders. Come to me with all the pain you try to bury. And I'm going to show you that I can turn your life around to a life of purpose. And you don't have to live with shame and regret any longer. For someone who knows about that, it's Paul the Apostle. In Romans 8, 1, he says, Now, right now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, not maybe someday. Now, not maybe when you get your prayer life together. Now, no, now, right now. When you memorize some more scriptures, maybe. No, he says right now, anyone who is in Christ, there is no condemnation. No condemnation. Would you stand with me today? See, I didn't preach too long. Close. Friends, Jesus came back to turn our life around. Things like sorrow, they're real. It's real. Man, it's real. Fear is real. We don't pretend this stuff doesn't exist. It's real. Doubt is real. Shame, regret is real. But Jesus, His resurrection, has the final word over things like that in our life. See, a resurrected life is one that allows the resurrected Jesus to turn your life around so that you can know peace, you can know joy, you can know love, you can know forgiveness, true forgiveness. We're going to end this part of our service. We're going to sing a song called Resurrecting. And I want to invite you, as we sing this song, That if, man, if you've got this stuff happening in your life where it's like, man, sorrow's real or fear's real or doubt's real or, man, shame and regret is where I just can't seem to get past any of this stuff. It continues to bombard me. It continues to hold me captive. It continues to weigh me down. It continues to push me back. I want to invite you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to put all of you, your whole, whole heart, soul, mind, and strength in the Lord. That the resurrected Jesus, 
that without it, we will be held captive by those things. But because of it, he came back to turn our life around and we can be changed. We can be free. We can be forgiven. You can know what it's like to be raised up anew. Anew. And so I invite you that as we sing this, sing this by faith and let go of whatever it is and let Christ, the resurrected Christ, come into your life. Renew your love. Renew your devotion. Renew your faith. Renew your heart to Him. And if you would like prayer at any time during this final song, there will be ministry leaders that will be here in the front to pray with you. But let's give it all to Jesus and let Him resurrect and make things new in us today. Let's pray. Father, we come before You and we thank You that this is just not some story. This is just not some book. This is real life. This is eternal things. Jesus came back to turn our life around. And I pray today for anyone, oh Lord, who feels trapped, hidden, concealed, pushed down, pushed back from any of these things like sorrow and fear and doubt and shame. You would reveal yourself to them today and they would allow you to renew and resurrect their life, a new life in Christ, so that you can take away the old, you can heal their hurt, you can free them from their pain, you can deposit and cause hope to grow in their hearts, and you can take off those heavy, wet clothes of shame do that for us today. Make it real. Mark us by your love. Mark us by your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.